Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. This episode is sponsored by RentReady. Are you looking for an affordable property management software to help you manage your rental portfolio? Check out our partner, RentReady. They help us market and list properties, screen tenants, collect rent, manage maintenance, and maintain leases. You can visit their website at www.rentredi.com and use our code JUICEPOD. That's J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D for 50% off any plan. Get started today. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. It's Wednesday. You know where we're at. We're back at the Weekly Juice pod, baby. (laughs) Let's do it. I'm ready. Today, we had a great guest on. We had a special guest, Heather Blankenship. She's an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and she specializes in RV parks, glamping sites, and multifamily investments. We talked and she actually has over $30 million worth of assets under yep. management. And we went in depth on RV parks and like how she built this incredible compound with multiple streams of income. And, you know, then switched her portfolio later down the line to more long-term investments to kind of pad her portfolio. So that way, in case the short term game changed a little bit, she, she, she was safe. Yeah. I think, well, one of the things that was really cool is that she has a, she has her first investment ever in real estate, she bought, she had to put no money down and she bought, I believe it was $3.2 million and the bank lent her the entire amount. And today that property is worth $13 million. So she's able to leverage all that equity that she has in this, essentially a business because there's RV parks in there. There's like glamping sites. It's like this whole business that different facets, actually nine facets generate a bunch of income for. So she's able to pull equity out of that to go buy more deals. And again, she knew nothing about real estate. She kind of took a leap of faith and not suggesting that that's like the, like everyone should just dive in, but she did it. She did it. And she's got a really cool story to tell. So I think it's, uh, I think we should bring her in and get to know her a little bit better. It was a great episode. Let's do it. As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is for to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. And if you're interested, after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. Heather, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are absolutely thrilled to have you on. As I mentioned to you pre-recording, I've heard a little of your story, but can't wait to dive in deeper. You're just super motivating. You've uh, done something not many people are able to do. So we are thrilled to have you on here and uh, can't wait to share your story. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you all tonight. Absolutely. So if you could give us a little brief background on yourself and maybe what you did before real estate and then what inception point or when the light bulb went off and you're like, Hey, listen, like 
I'm going to dive in. And if it wasn't a light bulb that went off, like how you fell into real estate. Yeah. So I grew up super poor in Mississippi and um, was used to, you know, eating the vegetables in the garden that we grew. And my dad would hunt and fish and, you know, that's what we would eat. And my grandma and I walked everywhere and, you know, we lived this really, really simple life and everybody in Mississippi is poor. So I didn't know any different. And, uh, my parents moved me to Illinois when I was in high school and you start learning that there's a little bit different life out there. So I ended up going to college at Western Illinois and studying supply chain management. I don't know why I picked supply chain. It sounded interesting at the college counselor's office and Um, I did my internship in Iowa City and I was so freaking bored. It was like the most miserable thing I had ever done. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I've gone to college for four years to learn how to do this. This is not going to be the rest of my life. And so uh, I take my first full-time job in um, Memphis, Tennessee. I moved back South since I was originally from the South and I'm working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I meet my now ex-husband and him and I get married and his job had him traveling full time for a living. So I'm traveling around in this camper with him from Florida to California and I'm looking around and I'm like, dude, this is just renting parking spots. These people are like taking in the cash like this has got to be easy. So by the time we got from Florida to California, I'd been Google searching RV parks for sale and campgrounds for sale. And at the time I lived in East Tennessee and our tourist town was or is Pigeon Forge, which was popular back then, but it wasn't the like name on everyone's list of short-term rentals that it is now, because this was 11 years ago. And I find this campground that's in bankruptcy in Pigeon Forge. So I call the bank And I'm like, hey, I want to buy this. And I'm 26 years old. And they're like, how much money do you have? I'm like, I don't have any. (laughs) (laughs) But this was after the market had collapsed. And um, banks gave different loans than they'll give now. So this isn't something that you could probably go out and get now. There's a few other things that you could do. But um, they gave me a a loan for non-recourse for $3.2 million and no money down, which literally does not happen now. It was this huge blessing, but like you and I were talking about before we started, I had to figure out how to run an RV park. My first electric bill was $20,000 and the first loan payment was $18,500. And I was a very normal person. I had like, you know, normal rent. So those freak out moments of, yes, I just got this huge blessing and opportunity, but holy crap, I've got to figure out how to run an RV park. Okay. That's amazing. So I, I'm just trying to figure this out here. Like, what is it, do you think it is about your personality or maybe where you came from that gave you the fortitude to just be like, yeah, like, I don't really know how this is going to work. I'm just going to do it. Like <laughs> to have a first payment of $18,000 when you said you have to pay like rent, like I, I'm just trying to figure out what's going through your head. Like, how did you think that this was going to work out? Evidently it did, but. How? Yeah. And so as a little kid, I can remember as early as like four or five years old, my mom would say to me to literally everything I said, no matter what it was. And she still says this to me. Don't say I can't say I can and do it. There was no like I can't in my house. There was no I can't figure this out. I can't do this. I don't know enough. I don't anything. It was literally figure it out. There was never that option for you're not going to make it or like you never believe that there's something that you can't do. Wow. I love that. And here's what I'm thinking too, is like, there's a, 
there's one point to say that, but then to go in and say, okay, well, I'm going to take this loan with zero down for $3.2 million Yes, and hope it's going to work. Was there any sort of analysis done or what did you do to say, <laughs> hey, this thing's going to be profitable? Like why buy this specific one just on a whim or what was the homework you did? Dude, I didn't even know it was real estate. Like <laughs> I didn't know there needed to be an analysis done in my head. I'm just like, it's in a tourist town and it's next to Dollywood. How could it go wrong? <laughs> Wait, did you say Dollywood? What's yes, Dollywood? Dollywood is like Disney World with Dolly Parton instead of Mickey Mouse in Tennessee. And so it's our largest tourist attraction in the area. It's less than a mile from there. So I'm like, the, the wow. number one visited national park in the country is a couple minutes away. Like, how could it go wrong? All right. Listen, someone's looking out for you up top. I don't know who, who or what you believe in, but someone is watching out for you because that's incredible. And I, maybe I don't want to fast forward, but let's just give people a glimpse of what this is at today. And then we'll go through all the layers. You bought it for 3.2 today, 2022. What is this park worth? That park takes in two and a half million dollars a year and is currently worth about $13 million. So I'm able to pull the money from that property where that's grown out and, you know, refi by other properties. So I'm trying to get, wrap my head around this because banks like, so essentially there was nothing that qualified you for this loan. Like the bank was just like, sure. Like, I guess that's why the market crashed. <laughs> like it's a prime <laughs> example because they were just giving out these, like I knew that they were giving out these loans, but I haven't actually heard of an example like this extreme. Like, okay. So, so here you got to think of it this way. This was after all of that happened. So after. banks had these properties sitting on their books and they were trying to figure out how to operate them. And an RV park is so different than other asset classes where you just collect the rent. RV parks have all these different streams of income and all these different moving parts and their swimming pools and, you know, a store and golf cart rentals and all these different things going on for a bank to be trying to operate that is not going to happen. It's not somebody just paying rent. You know, you've got to take reservations with an average stay of three or four days. So they've got to be thinking any money that this woman pays us is better than the no money that we're getting right now because we can't operate this place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And banks always say like they always say that they don't they don't banks don't want to own these properties. They don't no, they want, no. They want a loan on them. So what let, let's talk about what you did to get this thing operational then, because you have that first eighteen thousand dollar payment coming up you're wet behind the ears. Like you don't know what's going on, but you made it work. So what did you do to turn this, turn this into a profitable business? So they did give me six months of interest only. So I had six months to figure it out, which those interest only payments were still, I can't remember how much they were, but they, they weren't cheap. And so when I bought it, there were a hundred people living there with refrigerators and mailboxes outside and just had turned it into almost a, a mobile home park, which it, it wasn't permitted for and wasn't allowed to be there. So my, my first day there, I've got to figure out how to, and I'm getting so much hate on this right now, literally got TikToks blowing up for removing a hundred people from their homes, which it is not that they're, they're all in campers that they can get in and drive down the road to the next place. But, you know, figuring out how to get rid of a hundred people that are paying $300 a month. And that includes all of their utilities and everything. You know, you, that doesn't even pay the bills that you've got there. It's free. It's basically free. It's free. Like you can't let them stay. So try getting rid of those people. And back then was when Facebook was the big platform. It was really your only option. So 
uh, I started trying to figure out how to build the Facebook account in which I got it up to like 25,000 or something, which was huge back then. And so I was getting uh, customers that way. I was messing with Google AdWords and pay for clicks, which now there's, you know, a company on every corner that'll do that for you. But there wasn't then. So I was trying to figure out Google AdWords myself and some kind of SEO stuff. And so I just across the street is the flagship location for KOA in the area. And KOAs are like the number one. Uh, they have almost 600 locations. So they're kind of a big franchise in, in the RV industry. And I'm like, OK, so if I'm just cheaper than them and I do OK with advertising, I should be able to figure this out. So that was how I started. Wow. It's, I'm just this is a crazy story. And I want to also share something here. You're also a human being on the side. You're not just a robot trying to figure this out. You were, I believe you were pregnant with your first kid during this I whole was. process. Yes. I got pregnant with my oldest daughter the same month that I closed on the property. So I'm like pregnant, shoveling mulch, living in the office floor, uh, trying to get this started. So when you hear all these excuses from people of reasons they can't start, they don't have any money. They've got a family, you know, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. Like you literally just figure it out. So this, this whole RV park was actually, it is real estate, but it's actually like owning a full business with multiple income streams, right? That's what I, I believe we were listening to you on another show that you said that the park itself has nine different income streams. Can you talk about what these are and like how they, each of them bring you revenue? Because you're going to have to put people in positions to run each of these different businesses within the umbrella business, right? Exactly. And so that's one of the neat things about RV parks is they're like this perfect mix between cash flow and appreciation because you get cash flow like you get on a short term rental, but you still get the appreciation of commercial real estate. So when we're talking about those nine to 10 different streams of income that you can get at an RV park, you know, the, the first one you're going to think of is renting your site because that's where you're getting everyone's coming to stay. They're going to pay you their their nightly rent or nightly site fee. Then you've got your camp store. The camp store at that original property brings in over $200,000 a year. And the camp store is, can be anything from like a convenience store to maybe depending on where they're located, have some groceries inside of it. Maybe they're more like a Cracker Barrel. Uh, just kind of depends on where you're located to know what they're going to need in that area. But think of like a gift shop inside of a, a hotel or something like that. So you got your camp store. Uh, lots of places have golf cart rentals. You golf cart rentals is a whole nother business there. You've got um, food. That specific property has a pizza kitchen, but some of them have full-fledged tiki bars that serve all different kinds of meals and food. Just depends on what, what the destination needs. You've also got water rentals in some areas. People do, whether it's boats or pontoons, some of them are as simple as inner tubes that they take down a river or whatever it may be nearby them. You got tiny home rentals. The I have 21 tiny homes at that property, and that brings in about a half a million dollars a year. So those operate similar to a short term rental. You've got glamping tents inside your alternative accommodations that do really well. You got firewood sales and ice sales like it sky's the limit on all the different income streams. Your laundry room is a whole nother side hustle in there. I don't know why these people on three day trips need to do so much laundry, but they do. I'm literally dumbfounded. This is, it's, yeah, it's so like incredible. A, you have your own compound. Like this is literally, it's your compound. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. No one, I mean, it, it's absolutely worth 13 million today. Like you can just tell from all these streams of income, it's just pumping revenue. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my, if I'm listening to the show right now and I'm thinking the same thing, like, okay, let's say this is something that intrigues me. Like what are the type of loans that would be given out today on these properties? Like how would someone go about buying them? Because you're not getting 0% down on $3 million. 
That's true. And so that's a big portion of what I'm teaching my students when we're talking about that. Some of your best options for lenders are going to be local banks and credit unions. Local banks will give you the best kind of uh, down payment option. They're usually about 20% down, similar to uh, a regular loan, a traditional loan that you would get. Um, there's definitely some loan brokers and more institutional options, but those are usually going to have a higher down payment, but they will give you better terms. Depends on what your goal is. You want better terms or, do you, you know, as far as the length and the, the rate, or do you want, you know, a lower down payment? It's kind of your options with that. Cool. Got it. Yeah. I, I have one for you. So I've been doing some research and I, I hear there's a difference between a long-term RV rental and a short-term RV rental, RV park rental, I should say. Can you explain the difference and then what this deal falls into, like which category it falls into? Yeah. So there are, four or five different types of RV parks, which is what you're asking about. So you can get really confusing if you don't specify those. And also when I'm speaking at different events, everyone just assumes it's all a mobile home park. <laughs> yeah, my, I think my dad still thinks I own only mobile home parks. He hasn't quite grasped that like it's not all trailer parks. Um, but RV resorts, which are similar in operations to short-term rentals or a hotel where people have an average stay of three to four days and they're on vacation. These are people who have, you know, income to spend because it's their yearly trip or they take a trip a couple times a year with their family. That's your short-term rental version of a park. Then you've got what you mentioned is a long-term option, which is affordable housing. This is where people are choosing to live a different type of lifestyle and it's more affordable for them and their family. And those are very similar to mobile home parks. They're kind of that mailbox money with less operations, but obviously you're not taking in near as much cash flow. And you're gonna need, you would be lower on amenities as well in a property like that usually. You also have something that's called a seasonal park. And I don't mean seasonal in nature as far as like the amount of time that you're open. Seasonal as in your, your guests are seasonal. This is going to be something that's like a lake house for them. They, they rent it maybe an hour or two from where they live and they go here every weekend or a couple times a month and they've got their camper set up and they treat it almost like a lake house. And they go and visit and they come and go and they pay you know a set fee of a couple thousand bucks to stay there for their season that's the lake season or the boating season or the whatever area they're in, what's the season there. You've also got something called a man camp, which can be great or can be a huge deal and you could really lose a lot of money. Man camps are something that you're going to find in an area that maybe a pipeline's coming through or you've got the oil workers in Texas and they need temporary housing for whatever that job is that they have. So what happens is you have this land and nothing's going on with it. And all these workers come into town and they need somewhere to park their campers and live for this year or two. So what happens is you get your 50, 60 bucks a night and you're like bringing in the cash. So if somebody were thinking about buying that, they'd look at the profit and loss statement and be like, dang, this is worth a lot of money. The problem is when that job leaves or dries up or the regulations change, that land is worth nothing. And so not nothing, but you know, nowhere near what the cash flow is. So that can be really dramatic if you mess up there. And then you've got a combination park, which can mean two different things. It could be a combination of a mobile home park in an RV park, or it could be a combination of short-term and long-term rentals. Got it. So, so where does, where does yours fall in, in this whole category game? 
So the one that we were talking about originally was a long-term park. And then we converted it to that short-term park all throughout. But you know what? Also, I have this habit of saying we, because uh, a lot of my team members have been with me from the beginning. And so I'm always talking about we, we, and then on the last podcast, I'm on the like, Heather, who's we? I'm like, I mean, it's me, but <laughs> so you, so to be clear, that's awesome. So you, yeah. so you have built these teams out, but you're the sole owner, no partners in the deal. No, I have about $30 million in real estate at this point, And I don't have any partners, but I would not have been able to do it with all the fabulous team that I have. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, we just covered about 13 million of that, right? So I imagine that you're, you seem like you're pretty smart. You use the leverage that you had in that $13 million to go buy more real estate, right? And buy more yes. businesses. So what did, besides that park, you mentioned $30 million. What else do you own? Right. Brought it up in the beginning of the show, but like, what is your portfolio totally comprised of? And like, we can talk about how you got to that point. Yeah. So I own RV parks, mobile home parks, section eight, multifamily, the short-term rental stuff, the glamping units. Uh, I closed two weeks ago on my first boutique motel by the beach. I'm super excited about those. Uh, I did like 1300 mail outs last week and our phones are ringing off the hook. So I've been driving up and down the coast, looking at all these motels. Even today I'm running in like one minute until I'm starting with y'all because I've been dragging my kids around looking at all these motels. It's just insane to think of, uh, I mean, we will get into your portfolio, but how far you've come from falling into this incredible deal. Right. But then learning so much along the way, it's just like, happy go lucky in the beginning, but it's like, Oh no, I need to start making money. I have $20,000 payments monthly or 18 to 20. Right. So, yeah. um, I think it's just insane to see that. And like, I'm going to figure it out in six months, get this thing churning. And then I think it took you about what, six years before you bought another property. Is yeah. And so we should be really fair and clear about that because when you meet newbies, they get this shiny object syndrome because they're like, Ooh, Heather's doing RV park. So and just bought an Airbnb. All hotels sound really cool. You can't get that shiny object syndrome. I spent six years like mastering and getting really great at an RV park before I went out and learned about these other asset classes and learned how to do, do these other things in real estate. Otherwise you never really get great at anything. If you don't stop and spend that time to focus, especially since most people aren't coming out of some kind of world that's related to finance or real estate or hospitality or whatever it is. If you have no background whatsoever, stopping and actually getting great at your asset class is so important. And nobody talks about that. We keep talking about these shiny objects that everybody's chasing. Well, Heather, do you recommend RV parks as a place for people to start? Do you think it's viable or do you think it's more of a something that people should jump into after they've already been investing in real estate for a period of time? I think you could definitely start with RV parks if you're willing to do the work. If you aren't willing to spend some time at the property and you don't have to live there like I did for a while and things like that. But a lot of people who are getting started, they've been sold uh, by these gurus on social media about how you don't have to do anything and you just bring in all this money and, you know, you hang out at the beach. You know, if you want that mentality, this is not the place to start because you're going to have to figure out a whole lot of things. If this is your, your first fire, you really yeah. could start with glamping though. That's kind of apples to oranges, but very similar. Can you, you go, start with glamping? Can you explain what glamping is for people that don't know? 
<laughs> glamorous camping. It's all the people who want to post on Instagram that they went camping, but they're not planning on like setting up their tent and they still oh, want a really that's great 100% bed. <laughs> what I would do. I wouldn't go camping. I would definitely go glamping. I'm a glamour, I, need, dude. I, need, I need a shower at the end of the night. Okay. I'm not sleeping in the woods, but you know, that's just me. But I mean, I could do it for a couple of nights, but glamping sounds a lot more fun. Well, and you have glamping cabins on this. I keep, I'm calling it the compound. I'm just going to, that's how I'm going to call it for the rest of the episode because it's, it's insane to think about. So I actually just want to, I know we're still talking about the rest of the portfolio, but the nine income streams you have on this property are, are, are mind blowing to me. You have the golf cart rentals, the laundry room, the glamping tents, the rental cabins, a tiny home village, airstreams, right? And the airstream is like that silver tube, right? It's like a, it looks like a camper, but you you have that as an Airbnb, don't you? When you're not in it, right? Don't you? Yeah. Lease that out? It's funny that you say that. I bought a new motorhome this week because my Airstream is rented out so much that I can't even take it somewhere. So I'm like, I'm just leaving it there and buying another camper. It's insane. Love that. And then the camp store, firewood and ice and a restaurant. So it's just, it's insane what this type of asset class, if you will, can bring you, right? And there's a lot of different things. And you just mentioned glamping. So I wanted to touch on that because you have that little tiny niche carved out on your compound too. So it's really interesting. Um, can you walk us now, like kind of catch us up to where we are today as like, so the six years went by, you studied your crafty master and then like, what were your next steps to scaling your portfolio and, and maybe why you dove into other like long-term rentals as opposed to the short-term? Yeah. So a couple things happened. Uh, during that process, my ex-husband had an affair while I was eight months pregnant with our third child. And I had this like freak out moment of how the heck am I going to raise three kids and run this giant property by myself? Like, what am I going to do? So I go to my parents and my parents live in Northern Illinois and there's it's December. And I swear the snow is like up to my shoulder, probably exaggerating a little bit, but I'm like, hell no, I'm going home and figuring this out. I'm not moving in with my parents. I'm going to make it happen. But I kept thinking my ex-husband owned 20% of that original property at the time. And, um, I was like, I don't want to sell my business. Like, I love this industry. This is really exciting to me. It's making good money, but I don't want to be partners with him. So I was talking to somebody that was kind of like a mentor in real estate in general at the time. And he says, well, Heather, you have a ton of equity. Why don't you just refinance and pull some money out? I'm like, what? I can do that? That was like a light bulb moment for me that propelled me forward, learning how to leverage debt and learning that I could use that equity in that property to go out and buy other stuff. But like I said, at the time, I was learning that, okay, I'm going to be raising three kids on my own and figuring all of this out. So I think, okay, RV parks are active. I need a passive option if I'm going to be raising the kids by myself. And eventually I'm not going to want to do this anymore. So what's my passive option? So everybody thinks, okay, I'll buy a duplex. So I start looking at these duplexes and it's interesting. This was only like four or five years ago. And the first duplex I bought was $90,000. And I just did a refinance and it appraised for 290,000. Like appreciation has been freaking nuts over the last couple of years, as we all know. But at that closing, I met this old lady. She was almost 90 years old and she owned a hundred units and she taught me about section eight. She had those units on section eight, which for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's a government voucher program where they direct deposit the rent the first of every month in your account. It's affordable housing. And 
she told me that she had seven mobile homes for sale. It's the lot and the home, not just the mobile home. And she was renting those out on Section 8 also, which was my like second light bulb moment because I could buy these mobile homes at $30,000 for the home and the lot and rent them for $1,200 a month on Section 8. So was, I started buying mobile home parks. I own four mobile home parks now that are significant. They're more like 40 and 50 um, pads instead of the small one I bought in the beginning. But institutional buyers like buying tenant owned homes, meaning they buy these mobile home parks where the tenants own the home instead of the owner of the park owning the home. I like park owned homes because I can rent them out on Section 8 for crazy cash flow. So like I'm giving you a lot of information. No, that's perfect. It was just give you just to give like uh, some background. Ryan and I own a duplex uh, that we bought for like one hundred seventy five thousand dollars, and each side rents for I think the average is around that twelve hundred. So if you do some math there, we're getting to our twelve hundred. We're getting like eighty five grand for our twelve hundred each. If you split that in half, and you just did thirty thousand dollars, and you're getting twelve hundred dollars a month. I can't even believe the RV parks. Or RVs, these rent out for $1,200. Like, so those are mobile homes. Yeah. So the difference is the mobile homes and the RVs. But yeah, because as you probably know, Section 8 doesn't discriminate on whether it's a house, an apartment, a mobile home, as long as it can pass inspection, which, you know, everybody got their slumlord, blah, 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 whatever. We have to pass inspection, which means they still have to be really great properties. You know, we can't rent something out that's not great. They're being inspected and they're reinspected every two years. So we've got to keep them up. Um, so, but if it's a three bedroom mobile home or a three bedroom house, the prices don't differ. So you bought them for 30,000 and how long are they rented for? I know you say 1200 is, are you going to do these as monthly leases? Is the year round six months? How's that work? Yeah. So those are yearly leases with the section eight program. And what's interesting is in the area that I'm, I have those in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the section eight program has a two year wait list. So people pretty much never leave because they've been waiting so long. There's such a high demand for it, right? high demand for how affordable housing and low inventory that once they finally get in somewhere, they never leave. We're, we're, we experienced the same thing. We have our tenants been in there for 10 years. She's not yeah. going to give up her program. And, uh, and you know, she does things to keep the house in good condition because she knows that she doesn't want to be removed from the program. And I actually, exactly. have, yeah, I have a tenant who I referred to section eight and, and cause I said, I mean, she's, a, she's a quality candidate for section eight. She has two kids. She, she doesn't make a lot of money and she's like, yeah, they're, they're on this big long wait list. So like she does well enough that she can pay the rent, but um, it is sought after for a lot of people. So it makes a lot of sense that it would be um, once you're in the program that you would want to stay for sure. For sure. So I know I'm thinking about it just like I'm going back down your journey here and, I, and you've come a long way from not really running the numbers. You just picked a property, <laughs> you for it. but now like, right, you're, you're clearly doing something right. Can you talk about the systems and processes you put in place to find good deals now? And then maybe like the categories you have are like, Hey, like this is a good deal for Heather. This is what I will invest in and why. Yeah. So I went through that phase of buying the, the long-term stuff. I had a goal of having a hundred thousand dollars a month of passive income 
for my retirement. Because as real estate investors, a lot of us don't believe in things like 401k. Some some people invest in stocks, but not everybody. And, and I pretty much have everything in real estate. But I wanted to be diversified because like we're talking about, I didn't want the active income. So I started buying up the mobile home parks as well as multifamily properties. I have a 10 unit, a 12 unit, some duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, things like that. So I wanted that section of my portfolio to be $100,000 a month of passive income before I went and started buying more of this fun stuff that's active and cash flows like crazy. The other stuff to me feels safe and like retirement. <laughs> that's your pad, right? You like your your foundation. I get it. Yeah, that that's my cushion. And so after I finished building that, I started buying um, more RV parks and the motel type stuff. So I went to a mastermind last year, and they had us read the book Vivid Vision. I'm sure y'all have heard of it. Have you read Vivid Vision? Haven't read it, but heard it actually from. Uh, Brandon Turner on Bigger Pockets. He he brought that up as one of his favorite books. I haven't read it, but heard about it. Y'all have got to read it. I'm gonna call you like every week and be like, have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? Deal. Yeah. Have you read it yet? Um, it is such a great place to be when you you write out that vision. And the book is such an easy read. It takes two or three days. It's it's quick to read and it's short. And it forces you to get really specific about what you're looking for. Because we talked about that shiny object syndrome earlier. And as you grow as an investor and as an influencer on social media, you get all of these opportunities coming your way. And you need to be able to say heck yes or hell no every time something crosses your desk and be really confident in that decision and able to make that decision really quickly. And if you haven't taken the time to go on a walk or sit in your favorite place in your house, or maybe it's your backyard and get really specific about what you're looking for, it's really tough to grow. And that vivid vision, the book doesn't talk about this, but it's really important that it's not just your investing goals. It's your goals with your family. It's your health and fitness goals. It's your your whatever is important to you, all of those things that kind of balance out your life needs to be in that two to three paid vivid vision. And if you've seen Brandon Turner's, like you were talking about, it's a little intimidating because he's a fabulous writer and he writes out this like whole newspaper article. Mine is not that. I wrote bullet points of the things that were important to me and turned it into paragraphs. And in that, um, I decided that I wanted to buy $200 million in real estate before my 40th birthday, which are going to be RV parks, glamping resorts, and boutique motels. So that is what I'm currently chasing. When you're talking about how do I find deals, I was saying when we got started, I sent 1,300 mail outs out last week and can't see straight with all the deals we're underwriting at the moment. But what are these? What does that say? Just out of curiosity, right? <laughs> like, I, you know, and I, I have another question too. You're not, well, maybe you are, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you handwriting these or is there a company? I know there's one. They're not. I was looking around. There was one on the desk over here. I think it's in the other room. Um, I use uh, a couple different companies because um, I've only been doing mail outs for about six months and I wanted to see which one worked better. So I'm trying both Deal Machine and Robot Inc. Um, I will say Deal Machine, they're, they're about, they're similar in price. Um, Deal Machine's turnaround time is significantly quicker. And they both have options that look handwritten. Uh, I think they're written with some robot ink. I'm assuming it's some form of robot, um, but they look handwritten in their envelopes that look like they came from your house, not like a bulk mail kind of thing. They've got a regular stamp on them. Um, so they don't look like junk mail. And 
Uh, one of them even has like a picture of me on the inside in front of the RV park talking about how I like buying properties and something really personal. We probably all heard like when you're making an offer on a property to like write a personal note or something like that. It's the same idea. You're sending this personalized, not generic letter. Uh, those mail outs cost me a little over a dollar a piece. And that method's been working really well, but we don't just... And I say we, um, I hired my mom as my COO a couple of years ago, and she is like super high emotional intelligence and fabulous cold caller. And so um, her with one other cold caller, I have a, a qualifying cold caller as well as her as a closer that simultaneously cold call these this information while we're also doing the mail outs. I want to talk about this, Heather, because uh, cold calling is something that a lot of people, including myself, like just don't want to do. Right. Like it's like there's this big like stigma and there's this this cloud over like cold calling. And like what what we've come to learn in talking with um, Anton Zareliev and uh, Diego Corzo, they have a call center, like just shout out to them. But but there are people out there that enjoy that, that want to do that, that you can hire to go do that. So it's like, it's all about the who, not how. And that was another 100%. Yeah. Like these people, like you can say, Oh, I hate this. I hate this. I don't want to do this. Like, and put this and like, put your head down and be like, I'm not going to do it. And then just like your one phone call away from reaching somebody who's like, no, I love doing this. This is what I want to do. So that outsourcing of the mailers and the, and the, um, and the cold calling can help you generate the leads that you're probably good at the closing. It seems like it, like that would be what you're good at or what you like to do is go analyze and find the deals, right? You don't have to do everything yourself. I think that's how, that's how scale really starts to happen. It's just hard to find that right person in the beginning, but once you put yourself out there and continue to learn and continue to change and, and, and network. I think it's, it kind of all comes together. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up who not how it's one of my favorite books and something that I'm constantly recommending to people because, um, you hear some people talking about even Brandon will say it, um, things that feel heavy to you, meaning you don't want to yeah. do them and you're avoiding them are those things that you need to be using who not how and hiring out. And there's different methods like you talked about. Diego and them have their call center option. Um, I know some other really successful flippers who um, use like onlinejobs.ph for uh, Filipino workers that they pay four or five bucks an hour to do cold calling. You're gonna that's gonna require some um, more training if you want to do something like that. Do y'all know Tiffany High? She's a fabulous. Um, she's awesome at that. And she does really great with sales training. So if you're going to run a team instead of do it yourself, you've really got to know how to manage and run those people. So I highly recommend actually learning how to manage and run those people. Um, or you can hire somebody like Diego's team. Yeah, very cool. Absolutely. So you, we've talked about a lot of different facets of the business. And I'm curious, like, I want to kind of switch over to the operations and system side of thing. Like, how do you manage... This is a very open question. I don't want it to be too vague. We'll, we'll peel back some layers here, but how do you manage the systems and processes and put everything into place so that it's like a well-oiled machine? I know you have probably bu different buckets everywhere. There may be system, um, like resources or like online platforms that you use to help organize your everyday. I'm just trying to get like a day in the life of what you do. It is controlled chaos, y'all. Anybody who pretends that it's not is lying. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but as far as the different systems and things you're talking about, I have different, I have about 30 employees. And at this point, I mostly manage my managers and the people who are in those roles that are closer to me or in my management roles, they all use Slack. They use Monday. They're using, um, all of these different 
more corporate tools to keep us organized. Because if you don't, the second somebody calls in or they go on vacation for a week, we're stuck and we can't move forward. So um, using some people use Asana on Monday and Asana work very similar. Uh, Using some of those project management type softwares have really been a game changer for us. It's awesome. We use Asana ourselves. Yeah, we use Asana for um, like the podcast stuff and putting out content that we found actually with their calendar. That's like one of the best uh, platforms. We're visual guys. It's just easy to see. You can color coordinate it. You can check it off when it's done. Um, My wife's company, they use Slack and they're obsessed with it. And it's just like a way to update everybody on projects. So I think it's essential, right? To keep keep things organized. You can't, I think you mentioned in a previous, maybe it was a previous podcast that you had a bunch of different group texts popping off um, <laughs> because not everybody's like some, you have older employees, right? And they do hip with the, the systems and processes of 2022. So does that, is that still your way of managing? Or? You know, it's interesting. So I was doing that for a while where everyone had all of these group messages for all the different companies that I own. And Y'all, I was getting to where I was going to sleep with like over a hundred text messages behind. Cause I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm like 40,000 emails behind and it just, it gets to be too much. And so each department now has a five minute time slot each morning that they have a meeting with me. And so they only text me because let's uh, being honest, I'm not on Slack all day. I'm not working in Monday all day because I'm not the one at the desk with the nine to five. My kids are homeschooled. I have 100% custody. And the part that's fun to me is chasing deals. So I'm running around and running and operating off of a phone. So they've got their five minute time slot with me in the morning. And so their rule is if this can wait until in the morning, wait until your five minutes in the morning. Otherwise, text me. If it's an emergency, if you really need something, if we're celebrating something really exciting, text me. But otherwise, wait till your five minutes in the morning. Love it. I think that's super important. And so, it also so makes them feel like they're getting that kind of personal touch point each day where I'm paying a hundred percent attention to them and not like my mom, she gets a 15 minute time slot because she's got so many things going for me. But she'll You're go so over. gracious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So nice to mom. <laughs> she'll go over 15 minutes. And I'm like, mom, I haven't been listening for like five minutes. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. You only get 10 actually. Yeah. 10 minutes of real estate <laughs> in my brain. Oh my God. That's funny. So I want to talk about your personal touch on your business, right? There's a lot of people that have these different types of investments everywhere in, in, in the same markets as you. So can you talk about A, what customer service means to your company? And then B, what's your personal touch? Like what sets you apart from all the other businesses that are similar to yours? That's a great question. So it would be different for all the different companies. So the affordable housing... I don't know what to tell you on that one. That one is, there's so much demand for it. It feels like we're just filling units. You know, um, we have a goal of having a 24 hour turnaround for every maintenance call, which somebody who doesn't own a property may think, oh my God, you're not coming for 24 hours. But when you own a property, like having a goal of a 24 hour turnaround is hustling. Um, Especially if you have to call and, you know, I have my own maintenance team, but if something happens HVAC wise or like extreme electric or something like that, we have to call that out. So trying to keep that 24 hour turnaround for our maintenance calls as our average is, is one of our goals that we have up on the board in the office. That's, that's, that we're pushing for and really tough. Um, tough is the wrong way to word it. It's a big goal and we try really hard to stick to it. 
No, I think it's really good. 24, I just think about, I work in customer service. So 24 hours to respond to an email, right? Or respond to a call, something like that. It's but like getting shorter and shorter too. Like 24 hours seems like such a long, like how many times do you need a response? 24 hours is like not, it's like a, an eternity. Well, it opens up a huge conversation because email is, it's email. It's supposed to be mail. It's not like an automated messaging system. It's not a text message. Like I like that little barrier, but people are attention span. As you know, look at TikTok and look at all these things we're on today. It's like you have three seconds. And if you don't get me in three seconds, I'm out. Like I'm not paying attention. And if you don't pull me in. So I think email people, their fuse is so short and they're just like, Oh, you don't reply to me. I, I emailed you this morning at eight and I, now I'm re-emailing you. Did you see this at three o'clock? And how annoying is that? It's the most annoying thing in the world. And so I just think of like, you know, our, our goal and like our barometer at, at my company is like, Hey, 24 hours, get back to everybody. And it's just funny how that, you know, it seems it there, you it seems like an eternity for some people, but really that's so hard to do considering all the things on the back end that you have to get done. Yeah. Especially if you, if you have had any issues, like we said with HVAC or plumbing or any of those things that you have to call out. Some of those people are like, we'll be there in a week. So yep. trying to pull off that 24 hour average when you've got some major issues, sometimes I have a total of 300 units. So with trying to keep up 300 units and average that 24 hours has, has been a big goal of ours. This is exactly um, why uh, we hired a property manager, even with the seven units that we have. This is exactly why, because we even keeping track of something that small is just like, it's just, it's really, really hard, especially when you don't, you know, you have to call multiple contractors on a holiday, this, that, and third. So you, you know, you kind of understand it, but, um, go ahead. I have one on this too. It's, it's, and I wanted to get, I know that you self-manage, but can we talk about the difference? Like why you self-manage versus hiring a property manager? You have, you just said you love fun, finding the deals and like boots on the ground, going and finding the next diamond in the rough. How the heck do you manage all your properties and all these things going on without hiring a property manager. It doesn't make sense to me. It makes no sense to me. So like I said, I have about 30 employees who are freaking fabulous and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. Um, my mother is my COO. I have a couple of people who work in the property management office that are just rock stars, have an amazing property manager. Um, she came to me about eight years ago. She started out in housekeeping. I moved her up to a manager at one of the RV parks and she just kind of worked her way to she's over all of that. Now, um, I have a head maintenance guy who came to me straight out of prison for the second time, um, about seven years ago, it was 4th of July weekend and all my housekeepers had quit. And in a normal scenario, I probably would have never hired him. He was living in a tent. And I was like, if you can clean, you can start right now. And he turned out to be fabulous. And he's my head of maintenance over all the properties. So having those really great employees and having systems in place to distribute them as needed, uh, it works out really well for us. And when you ask why I didn't hire a property management company, there is no right or wrong answer to that. Everybody has their own way of doing it and both ways can make great money. But in RV parks, hiring a property management company isn't necessarily an option. There's There are starting to be a few more options for great property management companies, but they haven't quite gotten it figured out yet. And those percentages that people want on a short-term property management company, those people are up to 20 to 25%. Like I would much rather manage a team than pay somebody to 20 to 25% on short-term rentals. Like their management fees are nuts. So I had to learn to do those management to manage my own team from the beginning. So as I started buying things that could have been put in a management company, it didn't make sense. I already had those teams in place. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm glad that you brought up mentioning or you brought up uh, talking about hiring somebody that was out of prison because of the, my family business that we work in. We hired two people who were who were in prison, and they're the hardest working people that I've ever met in my entire life. And they've been there with our company for 15 years. So, like you know, not judging a book by its cover and not assuming things is like it's it can it can bring you people in your life that are really important. And these people are like integral parts of our business. So I'm glad you said that. Cause I have a, you know, relates there too. But, um, what I wanted to mention is like, all of this sounds great. I mean, you're, you're saying everything so cavalierly because you've done it and you've been in the business and you know what, and you know what the last 12 years or whatever it is, has looked like for you. If I'm listening to the show, I'm thinking, okay, like, how do I be like Heather? Like, how do I, how do I get so ingrained in, in, in real estate that I can buy section eight properties that I can buy duplexes, 10 units. If I'm starting out today and my goal is to buy a 10 unit property this year, what, what advice would you, what would you tell that person to start doing? What, what are the tasks or the, or the, um, you know, the things they, they should check off of the list in the next month to try to get on their way? Cause you, you did it from not knowing anything too. So if, how do people do it? So I think it's interesting because I feel like this is a question that's always asked to people who are a little bit further down the road. and it's almost like a dating app. It's like, there's not enough information. Like I need to know more about this person. Like yeah, showing right. me a picture and five things about them means nothing. So you need a few more details on this person. And so if this were somebody who's coming straight out of college or really young and doesn't have that family yet, you're going to give them different advice than you're going to give somebody who's 35 years old at a W2 job making $200,000 a year, right? These are very different situations. So if we talk about somebody who's that beginner and they're young, and they're just starting their life out, um, I would say go intern for somebody. Uh, I have a guy in my property management office. He started with me as an intern two years ago, and he was accounting major at University of Tennessee. And he's like topping his class, super smart. And he's been a fabulous intern. And we thought we were going to lose him because he was getting all these offers from these top um, accounting firms. Mm -hmm. And my mom had a conversation with him and she was like, Austin, what is it that you really want to do? And he's like, I want to be like Heather. You're like, wait, what? Someone wants to be like me? And not only do you have that like realization, but you're like, well, Heather would never go work for an accounting firm. And so we made him an offer that was equal to what they were offering him. Only he gets a certain percentage of every deal that we buy going forward. And that person, it's a very small percentage because he doesn't know a ton yet. But as he learns more, that percentage, because he's able to help more, that percentage will grow and get bigger. Because like we talked about, he property manages for the company that I had that goal of having $100,000 a month. I don't plan on growing that company anymore because I'm focused on all these other things. Like I was telling you in my vision earlier. But if Austin wants to come in and grow that company, that's great for him and I both. And I can teach him to do that. He can go out and spend most of the time working on that. And he gets to learn all this information that I had to learn the hard way in the next 12 to 24 months. and he's going to have ownership in something that is a really great opportunity for a 21 year old guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really great point because uh, I think people are afraid to take a risk and to make like little or to no income. And obviously for obvious reasons, you need to make money, but I, I don't know many situations where it hasn't worked out. If you see somebody that you want to be like, and you're humble and you are willing to get dirty uh, to go work for somebody like that, if they notice that, that genuine feeling that's like, this person really wants to be like, looks up to me, the, the lifting that person to the level is 
almost inevitable. It, it really is. It's like a, it's like a, it's like magic, but you have to be able to say, I'm going to just sacrifice. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes. It's really hard to tell a young kid that, and I say, young especially kid, now in school, like it, it, there's so many things that are going through your mind when you're graduating and you're getting out of school and you're getting thrown into the real world. And you just, some of it is, is dumb are dumb things. It's like, Oh, my buddy has this job. He gets paid X amount, but it's like a flashy job. I don't want to be an intern. Like what are my friends? What are my family going to think? I just graduated from this great school, but I'm an intern. But what you're offering this gentleman is incredible. That scale to, to make X more percent as he climbs with you and builds the business. He's going to be in a different literally stratosphere than all his friends in the next five, 10 years, because he's going to have the real estate as well. And he's going to learn from you, buy his own properties and go from there. It's just, it's impossible to tell someone I feel like, or to really give them paint a picture of where they could be in the next X amount of years, because of all the things you're getting fed from social media and your family and your friend group. And like, also your own brain, like, I don't know if I could do this. What's the right decision, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's just commendable. And that's an awesome, it's excellent advice. And if it, I wish someone slapped me across the face and said, dude, do this and you'll be set up for the next five, 10 years. Cause you could wake up being at the same job or the same two jobs. And you know, maybe you're making a little bit more dough and, but you don't want to do that long-term. And then you have to find a way to get out and do the thing you really want to do. So there's no perfect roadmap to say the least. No, there isn't. But that was, that would be my next question. You were going to, Heather, you're going to talk about somebody, let's say somebody is 35. They make you know, 200,000 is a good amount of money. Like, but let's right, say yeah, that's maybe, not a realistic number. Yeah. Probably, like, I mean, but, let's say yeah. they make a hundred, a hundred thousand, which also is a lot of money. I'm not mitigating that, but like they make that, they are in a job. They, you know, maybe they like, but don't love and they want it. They want it something new, but they want to get into real estate. Like, what would you tell that, that individual? Maybe they have a small family or something that is coming on the way. They don't have like seven kids, you know, because obviously th that changes the game. If you have that many people to take care of. Right. So it's interesting because after you start meeting a lot of people and you have a lot of students and you have social media where you get all these messages and these questions that you're asking regularly. Well, by the way, not to, not to cut you off. The reason why I'm asking is because we get the messages all the time. I'm, exactly. 40, how, I'm 40. How do I retire in five years? And I'm like, well, yeah. you know, how much time you got and how much, like, I, I got to explain this to you. Like I, one, sometimes I don't know the answer because I, you know, but like other times I'm like, I really wish I could help you, but like, I, you got, I got to get paid for this. Like, you know, I got to Yeah, you need out. a pre-recording that you send for the answer to that question. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, Go ahead. So what I've learned is that most people aren't willing to give up what it takes to get there. Because again, they like the idea of it because of what they've been fed on social media or what they've read in some quick article or heard on some quick podcast. And in reality, if you're that far down the road, you've got mouths to feed, you've got a mortgage, you've got car payments, you likely don't have a ton of expendable income. So you've got to be willing to make some major life changes in the short term that most people aren't willing to make. And there's a couple of those things. I remember talking to this guy one time that I'm, I'm pretty good friends with, and he's constantly complaining about this really great corporate job that he has. And I said, we're going to call him Bob. I said, Bob, what are you willing to do to get there? And he's like, well, I've got to have this trip every year. And I got to have that trip every year. And I like doing this with my girlfriend. And I like, I'm like, dude, you, you don't want it that bad. You don't actually hate that job because if you did, you'd be willing to have two years of no vacations. That's not a big deal. Who freaking cares? You'd be willing to not go out to eat every night of the week. You'd be willing to give up some of those things in order to have a better life in five years, like you just said. 
but you've got to give up some stuff in the short term to get there. That's not necessarily the case if you're younger, but if you didn't start when you were 20 years old, you're going to have to give up some of the stuff that you've gotten used to in order to get there. And so whether that's house hacking, because we talk about house hacking all the time and you meet people who are like, oh, but I've already got kids and a wife and I like having my one acre house and blah, blah. That's all some bullshit. Then you don't actually want it. You actually wanted it. You'd buy a duplex, live in one side and rent out the other and eliminate your housing costs, save your money and then build your empire. I could not agree more. And I, I want to bring this up because I was have, talking to a friend the other day. This is not intentionally to toot my own horn or anything, but I realized that from 27 to th- like 28 and a half, I, it's not like I was working every weekend. I took weekends off, but I didn't actually like take a week off. And I was like, I didn't realize that that didn't, I, I didn't even realize it because I was just like, you know, I was kind of like focused and I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. Like you just said, if, you, you, you don't have to do it, but if you really want to like get ahead, it's one of the things that you can do. And the reason why I brought up house hacking is take my example to an extreme. I said this on a few episodes ago, but Craig Kerlop, who's like wrote the book on house hacking for bigger pockets, my man lived behind a, a screen, like a, a sheet in, in his own house because he wanted to rent out that room and he did it for like two years in order to get ahead. And now, I mean, I don't even know how much the guy, how much money the guy has, but it's like more so the lifestyle he's created for for himself by saying like, screw it. I'm 25. I'm just going to like live on this couch for two years. And it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. Like you're not living in the $2,700 a month apartment downtown, but like, how bad do you want a different life? And that's kind of like, yeah. how bad do you want it? And so we should probably point out too, that there are so many different ways to make money in real estate because you meet all these different people and they're like, no, you got to do it my way. And you got to do it this way. There are so many different options for even what we're talking about. There's some people who decide to hustle with flipping and wholesaling and they save up all their money from flipping and wholesaling. And that's how they eventually start keeping some and they build that. But you have got to be a straight up hustler. Who's like really skilled in a lot of different areas to make that happen. There's some really great training programs for that, but there's some people who do it that way. Like there's all different ways to do it, but you've got to figure out what you're willing to give up to get there. And I also think, and I, I think I got this from you, Heather. Um, I was educating myself on your social, if you will. That's what I'll say. We won't call it stalking. <laughs> no, no, and uh, so it, it comes down to finding something you're excited about. Right. And I think you talked about that before. It's like, there's so many damn options out there. You have to try and you have to fail. And at least put yourself out there because at some point you're going to find one that really excites you and that wakes you up and you're like, Whoa, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Or at least it, it doesn't feel like work every day. Right. Like it it gets it rolling. And like, I don't know how to totally put it into words, but there's something like where you can connect it to your purpose or it just gets you out of bed. Right. It goes to your why and you're like, Hey, like this is, this is my path. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so if you can find that, the only way to be able to find that is through trial and error, right? Like you can't just guess your way there. Hey, I think I might like wholesaling. I'm going to try it. Mm, Nope. I hate it. Ooh, I think I'm going to like Airbnb because there's so much revenue attached to it. Oh, wait, I hate managing these things. I don't want people texting me and I don't want to manage the systems, the systems. Then you go into long-term, then you go try a flip, fix and flip all these different things, a burr, but it takes, I just mentioned rattled off a thousand different things because that it just proves how much there really is in real estate. And once you find your thing, then, you know, and then you can go all in and, and hone in on your lane. But, um, so to your point, it's just like, I guess, how did you find, and maybe I already answered it, but like, how did you find that one niche that made you so happy? And you were like, Whoa, or what was that feeling or the day when you woke up and you're like, Whoa, this is like, this is where I got to be. And this is where I got to lock in on. 
So to add to what you were saying, it's also part of those things. You can, you mentioned like short-term rentals and maybe you hate talking to everybody. You know, if you hate talking to everybody, no different than y'all said that you hired a management company, freaking who, not how, hire that part out. Figuring out the parts of it that you don't like isn't a reason to quit. Those are the reasons that those are the parts of it that you find another option for. Those are the parts that you're either getting a partner that has a different skill set than you do, or you're you're hiring somebody for that part, right? It doesn't have to be that like you love every aspect of it. Like I learned years ago, I was not the person to answer the phone anymore. I started hanging up on customers because they were driving me insane. And I can remember Max Hudson at the time, he's like, did you just hang up on them? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Right point at me because I, I have a little bit of I have way less patience than he, he does. And it's just part of my personality. It's because I've been I've literally been trained in customer service for 10 years. And it's not you just I'm calloused. That's just what it is. And you know, like he's the sales guy, right? Like it's just I'm not trying to bash him. He doesn't, I was just joking, but like there's some days he's like, dude, I'm not replying to this. I'm like, dude, it's okay. I, I got it. It's all good. But that's part of it is having that partner with complementary skill sets so that, that you can bounce that off of each other. My mom and I have totally different skill sets. So bringing her in has been a game changer for me because she does all the things I don't like doing. You basically said that there's ways to pay for the things you don't want to do and you outsource them. And that, and, and it kind of tied into finding your, your happy niche, if you will, like something that gets you out of bed. Oh, you're talking about what makes you excited. Yeah. Being excited is also a choice. Like choosing to not wallow in every detail and be upset about everything, really protecting your environment and your mindset. And like, I do not have negative people in my life. If you were on my social media, you've heard me say this a hundred times. And if people are negative and constantly complaining and unhappy about something and unwilling to change it, they are not in my life. So choosing to be happy and excited and in a good place is literally a choice. Like I never was like, Oh my God, I want to own mobile home parks. And that's like my destiny. You know, you, you choose to be excited about those things. Yeah. Well, I, I want to bring this up about you specifically, because I think that there's a, there's a, there's a, a decent amount of people out there that will be like, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Like, I'm sure you're happy. You make all this money. And I'm like, Oh, hold on back this shit up real quick. Like you came from, nothing. So I don't like, I'm not suggesting that everyone has the same starting point. They do not. And I, we talk about this in episodes all the time. We are, we have been privileged in our lives in certain ways and in certain ways we haven't, and we don't have to go into all the details, but like, I am fully aware of who we are and the things that we've been granted. And I'll take advantage of the things that I can, but to talk to somebody like you, who's like, you just told me you grow up poor. So like, I'm not saying that everyone can do it, but I'm saying if you've done it, then it's possible. And all that that really need is a possibility for somebody who wants it bad enough, right? And there's that. tons of stories of that. Whatever your excuse is, you can go find 10 stories of somebody with a worse situation who's figured out how to make it work. It's it's so interesting. And it goes to the topic of like defending your energy. And and I I very much love what you just said is like, like, everyone has a bad day. Right. But like the people that are consistently negative and just bringing the vibes down, like you just kind of cut them out. And I, and it sucks to say like, you can't, you can't fix everyone. Right. You got to learn, you got to want to fix yourself and seek the help. And, you know, I don't want to sound like so privileged and, Oh, that makes no sense. Ryan. Like, of course you would say that, but like truly for me, like I'm pretty happy go lucky optimistic guy. And I found myself like, as I've gotten older, 
I just don't have time for people that are dragging me down. I just don't. And it bums me out. And like, but I actually have like trained myself to just, and it's for better or for worse. I don't know. I just like, I shut them off and I just, and I just keep going. I, I get in a, I don't know, a tunnel vision and, and it's sometimes it's friends that you've had for a long time and it's just, it sucks. So it is a thing. And I think you, you start realizing this stuff when you get older and you go through life, but everyone has shit, everyone. And half the time, you're telling people your shit. They don't care. They do not care. <laughs> but like your friends are the ones like, Oh, it's okay, bro. Like I got you. Like I care when he has shit day because not only are we business partners, I care about him as a human. And it's like, uh, it's, it's hard. It's like a, it's like a brother thing, right? You're like, dude, I get it. But he's not a negative Nancy every single day. It's just not a thing. He had a bad day. Great. And I get that. But I'm talking about the people that are like, I hate to say it, but like a little, like a leech or like a cancer that's consistently trying to pull your positive energy away. I'm sorry. I don't care how close they are as a friend. You got to strip yourself of that person and you'll just watch your life. You're more positive. People start surrounding you and then they lift you up and that carries you so far. And I think that probably goes to your team of 30. How jacked are you to tell us about all your people? Like, I know you don't have that many negative people, if any at all. They don't talk to me if, if they are. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so. so I can also tell you that, you know, we're, we're blessed to naturally have that mindset, right? And I get that there's some people who have to work at it. So if it's something that you don't naturally have, there's a really great book called The Gap and the Gain. I think it's the same author as Who Not How, isn't it? Same author? I think it I've is. I've never heard of that book, actually. I don't it's know. The Gap and the Gain. It's so freaking good. And it, it talks about keeping your mindset in that gain and not in the gap. Y'all should really read it. It's so, so good. Cool. Cool. Love it. Well, I'm gonna, I was going to look up Gap in the Game, but I'll do that in a second. So we talked about this community and, and building a network and surrounding yourself with the right people, which leads us to our next topic here. You have a women's community and an RV park mastermind that you advertise on your Instagram. So yep. if you're listening to the show and you're like, yes, this all makes sense, but like, what do I do? Because that's what everyone wants to know. What do I do? Okay, here's what you can do, right? You can join your women's community. We couldn't join, but other people can join if you're women <laughs> and if you're a woman and then the RV park mastermind, like, can you talk about these two communities and masterminds and like what you cover and why you'd recommend somebody joining them? Yeah. It's interesting that we segue into that after we're just talking about mindset and all those different things, because, um, I started my social media stuff, uh, a little over a year ago because I realized when I was going through divorce and my ex-husband was having that affair, I was so blessed to have already bought my first real estate property and to have had something to support my kids, support myself and, and drag us out of that. And there are so many women that don't have that. They're stuck in these relationships or marriages or families where they're, they have way worse stories than I do with abuse and neglect and like all these different things. And they don't know how to get out. And so I'm super passionate about teaching women to be fierce, fabulous, and financially free because I, and I should clear this up because um, Ryan Pineda, if y'all are familiar with him, he asked yep, me yep. the other day, he's like, Heather, I just want to clarify that you're not one of those like feminists, you don't need no man kind of people. And I'm like, oh, that is not what we're talking about. I am all about women being able to have their own identity and things that they're excited about and knowing how to support themselves. It's different to want somebody than to need them. You should want your partner and not need your partner. So the women's group is all about teaching women to be financially free. I love that. Was you say fierce, fabulous, and financially free? You should trademark yes. that. If you I should it. trademark that it's for sure. Nice. We, we got a great market. So many brilliant women on our show. It's unbelievable. And I would say, like, 
we're, we have pretty diverse guests. We probably have like of 110 shows, probably like fifth, almost half of like, I feel like every other episode. And it's like, so I love that you're, that you're somebody who's done it and you're also promoting, you know, and helping other women in that, in that sphere too. So that's awesome. And then the RV park mastermind, I've, this is obviously more of a specific niche. I don't know if you're shutting men out of this one too. But what's, what's the deal? Yeah. What's the deal? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you're saying that because my, uh, most recent mastermind started over last week and the guys were saying the same thing because I have a women's group retreat coming up and they're like, why can't we go? I'm like, there's so many things like no abundance and all these really fabulous men's groups. They aren't, there aren't those for women. We can like go drink margaritas by the pool and there is nothing for us that is that higher level entrepreneurial woman who feels like they're looking for a different environment to be in. So Guys, you got a lot of places to go, but we're just joking. I actually just love, I think it's badass. I love it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Ashley Wilson has the invest her uh, network. And and, she's bad. What bad ash investor. investor? Yeah. She was one of the just talking about the the women's um, one of the like women specific like masterminds too. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, The RV park mastermind stuff. I, I did brokerage for uh, three years in RV parks and mobile home parks. And because there's, there's a lot of mom and pop older generation who run these properties. um, As I was meeting different asset class owners, I kept getting this, Heather, how do we make money at this? Heather, how do we make money at this? And like you were saying with all your DMS, you're like, I cannot answer all of these people's questions. I eventually got to get paid to give somebody this information. I'm like, okay, let's put together a course. That's like start to finish line, hold your hand. How do you buy it? What do you do once you've got it? How do you get rid of it? Um, which is a all-inclusive mastermind on RV parks and glamping resorts. So those, those are every three months. Love it. It's amazing. Cool. So I think we made it to the core four and uh, we're going to ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests, get to know you a little bit more personally, even though we've talked, you know, on a personal level throughout the episode. Um, the first question is what is your favorite investing or business book? And I know we talked about a couple during the episode. I don't know if one of those are your favorites or not. Anything Brandon Turner's written is fabulous for getting started. So whether you're um, his newest one with the multifamily millionaire, that first volume of it is really great for getting started. But it also depends on um, what asset class you're you're looking for. People who are wanting to get started in short term rentals, uh, Avery Carl's short term rental book is yeah. actually really good. Um, so it, it actually depends on what it is that you're interested in. Uh, I would recommend somebody going to a conference though, that dabbles in each of those asset classes and has that short blip. So you could go to something like bigger pockets conferences in I think San Diego this year. And, you know, you could get a blip of each, our series circle has their conference coming up and it's got all these different commercial real estate um, topics that would propel you so much further, so much faster. I love, love that advice. It's really good. It's, great. Uh, it's, it's so cool that these exist now, the masterminds, like we were talking about how blessed, we are to be in 2022. I mean, like Heather, without social media, we would not be having a conversation. For sure. How would we know? How would I know you from where you grew up? We wouldn't know each other. Like you just wouldn't. So now the fact that there's masterminds, online masterminds, social media that can help grow your network, the, the conferences that you wouldn't otherwise know about unless you had a phone book. Like it's just, it's just wild. So like I recommend that. And we're a little bit behind the eight ball too with some of the conferences and masterminds we are talking about joining a mastermind in 2022, but it hasn't been one of our top priorities. And I think that's, that's really next for us too, because every single person we talk to, 
every single person is like, this will help propel your business. And we're like, yeah, okay. And then we just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's only because <laughs> it's it's we're thinking about a thousand other things, but yeah, it's, it's like, we're just making excuses at this point, but right. It's, it's surrounding yourself with people, like-minded people with similar values, obviously that are not all cut from the same exact cloth, right? Cause that's what makes the world go round and interesting, but that's going to help propel you. And we, we, know, we can talk ourselves in, into it in two seconds. We're supposed to do it. It's on our goal list for this year. So you'll hold us to that book and to this mastermind. Yeah, exactly. Um, because we're, we're going to do it by the end of the year. But Have you picked like, a mastermind? Secretly? No. Well, kind of. We, um, have we? we? We haven't picked one, but we have, a, we have a three really good friends in uh, the, the founders and stars of Rat Race to Five, Diego, yeah. Felipe, and Anton's in it as well. We're just like, we're super tight with them. I like what they're all about. And that that's an option for us. We don't know yet. We're not like saying, Hey, we're hundred percent in there, but that's one I've done some research. And I'm like, I think I like that one. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. I know a couple different guys in that and they're amazing. Um, if I could give you any words of encouragement, because there's so many options on masterminds I'm in two and, um, I would go to their live events and like pick a couple of them and go to each of their live events before you decide which one you're joining. Sure. It's like picking a fraternity. Yeah. Really. Like we were both in the same fraternity in college. Yeah, we were. That's actually kind of interesting. It's exactly seems like what you said, right? You got to go test it out, see who you vibe with the best. And, and you'll know, I read the book, uh, tribe of millionaires and that's by the go abundance guys. And like, you know, yeah. Diego was featured in the, in the book anyways. And that's kind of how we got on the show and all that stuff. And I'm so drawn to those guys. I don't have a million bucks yet. So I can't go, I, you know, I'm not allowed in yet, but one day that's what I'm like, damn, those guys are really like, they're doing it big. So I would, I would like to be in that group. So. Yeah. Question two, question two. So this is going to be probably different for you. Cause you're in a different, everyone's on a different page in their book, right. Or their chapter in their life. And so answer this, if you will, maybe like starting back in early in your investing journey, but if you were given an additional 50K of discretionary income, how would you use it and why? So actually, if you could give us today and then back when you first started, that would be awesome. Just like a lump sum. <laughs> Tax-free. You want to hear something funny about how I would answer that now? $50,000 yeah. is not relevant. I paid my American Express bill today and it was $73,000, y'all. That's yeah, why like, we asked you to Damn! Do <laughs> she give it to like, our boys. She'd be like, like, go invest in your mastermind. <laughs> like... And, and, and don't think that like Heather spent $73,000 shopping. All of my companies use the same American express account. And then I pay the bill a lot of different things each month. Yep. But one of the things like, as you grow the chunks of money that you need, if something goes wrong, get really big. So like $50,000, like I don't notice $50,000. Like that sounds totally ridiculous, but it's true. Like, yep. that's what I said. You're, you're in a different, I knew it'd be a tough question. Cause we do have yeah. people that are, have, but previously the revenue streams are crazy, right? Yes, exactly. And so if I could give anybody advice that's getting started and you do have some liquid cash like that, um, and you wouldn't even have to have that much because they don't make you pay all that stuff up front. Usually it would literally be to join some kind of mastermind. Like you're talking about. Um, it would be to go, like you said, you can't get in something like go abundance if you haven't started yet, but programs like, um, I'm part of Ryan Pineda's future flipper and they're, um, rookie program is really great and kind of holds your hand through on getting started. Um, having those like-minded people to bounce stuff off of is priceless in the relationships that you build. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, the last, I went to Ryan Pineda's last event, um, 
about a month ago. And, and the nice thing is they, they section you off based on how many deals you've done so that you're sitting in a smaller group of people who are in a similar place as you are. And there was this one guy who um, was talking about his morning routine. And every morning when he wakes up and he looks at his email list, he decides what he needs to automate, delegate, and um, eliminate. So going through your list and deciding, should this be automated? Should this be delegated? And should this be eliminated? It was like a game changer for my mornings, figuring out like what to do with each thing. And as dumb as that sounds, those little tips from other people who are going through the same process as you are priceless. Also that motel that I closed on almost two weeks ago now, I was down to an hour before closing and I did not have insurance yet. We were literally about to not be able to close because I couldn't get insurance. So I called a girl from a mastermind that I'm in and I'm like, how are you getting insurance on these properties? And I need it in 60 minutes. So for her to be able to give me that connection and get that closed is freaking priceless. So when you're thinking about, you know, if a program costs 5,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks, you're like, dude, I could put that down on my first deal. Yes, but these things will propel you forward so much faster. It is worth having to wait just a little bit for that extra extra cash. It's mm, a good answer. Yeah, it goes back to networking all the time and resources and just people people that are in your sphere of influence. It's wild. I think it's important for people to know that we're hearing it all the time that like people would invest in themselves before they invest in 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 the market or in properties, and it's like it's hard to. Um, to get people to actually do that, including ourselves, because you want everything quickly. But I, I mean, I think it's great advice. And that, goes that, back that, to our coaching thing. Yeah. It's one of our next, one of our next goals for sure. So question three, what has been your biggest mistake that you've made in your investing journey and how have you learned from it? I haven't heard any yet, Heather. So can you hit us with a mistake, please? We need it. I make so many every day, y'all. Good. Good. <laughs> right, what are they? When I bought my first property, I had created an LLC and made my ex-husband a 20% owner. Not for literally any good reason other than he was my husband. Like he had a separate job. He wasn't going to have anything to do with the business. Like it wasn't something he was doing. Him and his family thought of it as my hobby. He did not need to be in that LLC. Mm. Like literally did not need to be there. But when you have a spouse and like all the people who are married are just going to ignore me and hate on this. Your spouse doesn't need to be in your LLC if they don't do something related to the business. This is your job. You have, you're not on their evaluation every year at work. You're not on their resume at their job. Why do they need to be on yours? This is your career and your job. Because if something goes wrong that you can't control, you have no control over what that person decides to do in the future. If they're not actually, and I don't mean this for the husband and wife couples who are hustling together and building this real estate portfolio together. That yep. is a different ballgame. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't doing this with their spouse. They do not need to be on your LLC. So that cost me like hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy him out when I was going through divorce. Wow. And it was strictly because he was on the LLC? Yeah, I had to buy him out. So say he wasn't on the LLC. How does that work? Like say it was 100% I'd have been years. protected from it. Like Really? Yes, because we had a prenuptial agreement that was meant to protect him and in the end protected me um, because his family had money when we got divorced and when or when we got married, and when we got divorced, he didn't have any money and I had the property. Sounds like a little bit of karma to me. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, I had to buy him out because I was dumb enough to put him on the LLC. 20% <laughs> ah, is all good. You're doing pretty good, kid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's uh, all that's, good. Uh, that's, that's good, good stuff. stuff. We talked a little bit about your 
your, well, we've talked a lot about your journey, but really what I want to know in this question is like about your legacy. If you have one, what do you do this all for Heather? What do you wake Why do you wake up every day? This, you're, you know, you're raising, you're raising kids, you're homeschooling kids. Everything that you're doing is difficult. Yeah. You still continue to push forward and, and, and try to build these businesses. So what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be looked at as, and why do you do what you do? I want my kids to have the option to be in control of their own lives. The reason that I do what I do every day um, is because I like being in control of my own life. I'm in control of my time. I'm in control of what I'm doing every day. I like being able to make the decisions for, I can make as much or as little money as I want to make. It depends on, you know, I am making those decisions and I want my kids to have those same options as well. Um, so it's probably a mix between that and that what we went to back before about being passionate about teaching women that they are more than somebody's wife and little girls that life is more than finding your prince. We've got all these Disney movies that teach all these little girls that they've got to go out and find their prince, that it's great to have your own interest in your own identity and then find the man that you actually want, not somebody that you think you need. I really like that. Yeah. To be honest, very well. Like, I love that, that princess analogy. I think that's so true and just for like people that are gonna have families soon maybe they have girls like my cousins have two young girls and i just think about that like you don't need you don't need a prince but they're watching all these damn movies and it's actually funny they i don't know totally why i'm bringing this up it's kind of funny but they don't let them watch certain disney movies because of that exact scenario or they don't like the the way the story plays out and it's like what am i what am i teaching my daughters so interesting i've never actually even thought of that but i'm glad you brought it up because i mean i'm not i don't not very close to having kids but i've like thought about the stigmas that obviously i think disney means no harm but i don't know maybe not like it's just the fact that like the the category that you get put in even from a young age to think that you need help right and i think that's what you looked up to right and you watched it's interesting yeah well, it's also interesting. Disney's gotten significant. We're picking on Disney. They've gotten significantly better. Back when we were kids, all the movies were True. totally that. Um, yeah. My daughter and I watched Raya. Um, I don't yeah. know if y'all don't have yeah, kids. Yeah, Dragon. Seen them. The oh, Dragon, yeah. yes. Yeah. And that one's like girl power all the way. It wasn't about her finding a prince. She's saving her dad. All these things. It's really great. Same with Frozen, you know, the sisters and all the stuff. So um, Disney has done so much better than they used to do. But some of those, those classics are... Yeah, I was going to say the dated ones. It's probably because like 50s, 60s, like like that was like, you know, just this big white picket fence stigma of like the man goes to work and the woman stays home. Like that is clearly not how life works anymore. Um, So, yeah, we have made it to the last drop. Sure. With the last drop, the question is one last question to end the show. Knowing what you know now, if you could go back to younger Heather, let's say 18 to 20 year old Heather, what advice would you give her knowing what you know now? Literally nothing. Just let her go. <laughs> let her do her thing. Let her ride. I feel so blessed to have gotten to where I'm at. Like, I'm so blessed. I've got three happy, healthy kids. We wake up every morning and do whatever it is we want to do. I would not change anything. You, okay. Okay. That's the first time we've ever had that I, answer. I like ding, that. Ding, 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 I ding, actually ding. like that. Yeah, so you, just, you don't need to tell yourself. You'd something. go through everything that you went through without. I like that. Cool. I needed awesome. it. Yeah. Damn. Well, Heather, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you f- so much for coming on. We we've enjoyed your story. Uh, learned a lot actually in the episode, kind of about the RV parks in, in particular. But if people want to learn more about you, your story, network, mastermind, 
all that you have, you know, the course, everything that you have to offer, what's the best way for the people to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at Heather Blankenship X3 or my website at heatherblankenship.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on the show. We learned a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.